us. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together? Now, Holy Spirit, even now, would you be here among us? Uh, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see what your words have to say? And Lord, would you give us hands that apply what we've learned today? And Father, more than anything, would this be a church full of people who bear fruit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I don't want to scare anybody, but this is kind of a philosophical question. Uh, but you've been gone for four months, so you know, I hope that you're ready for church again, okay? So uh, this is a little bit of a, a high, highbrow question, if you will, but uh, I have found this question to be something that sort of sticks in the back of my mind as I drive around and think about things. It's like you know that little outside shell on a little popcorn kernel that gets stuck in your teeth. You know, it doesn't really hurt, but you can't really get it out for some reason. Uh, well, that question is very simply this. Um, how do you see the world around you? Uh, you know, how do you see the physical world? Like when you look around, you look through the windows, like what is it that you see? How do you make sense of what you're seeing? I think for many of us, the reason I ask that is because I think a lot of us, uh, the longer sort of life goes on, I feel like uh, for many of us, the sort of spiritual stuff, you know, like about heaven and hell and the Trinity and God's word and Jesus doing miracles and like bearing fruit for the kingdom, that sort of gets relegated into this sort of odd spiritual world that I don't really know how to engage. And it couldn't seem any further than from the world that I see with my eyes, you know, uh, the world where there are tree frogs, you know, and there are caterpillars and vineyards and there are harvest seasons. And, you know, that we know that the sun rises and it comes back around, and it's sort of the world of science, right? It's that sort of rational side. And as it seems like as life goes on, it seems like those two things are really hard to reconcile to each other, right? Uh, so we may understand that the Lord gave us children and grandchildren, but then in the back of our mind, we've got that voice that says, well, we all know where children come from and doesn't have anything to do with the Lord, right? And so how is it that we're supposed to see, the, how do we see the world around us? Um, I think if you don't really think about that question, what ends up happening is, like I said, you're going to end up being pulled further and further away from the worldview uh, that Scripture talks about. You're going to be pulled away from an in, you know, a coherent way of life. 
uh, your life is going to be deeply incoherent because you're going to hold sort of, you know, contradictory ideas and tension, right? You're going to believe that, you know, uh, humans, you know, we matter, they're human rights, and yet also we're just the result of the Big Bang, right? So how do those two things tie together? Uh, well, I think the way we answer that question is really important, right? Because I think a lot of us sense that sort of dissonance. We don't really know how to com- reconcile those two things together. Uh, well, I think the way that Scripture and the writers of the Bible, the way they see the world, the way that Jesus sees the world, um, is deeply applicable for you and me. And what, the way that they saw the world, uh, scholars would call it typology, types. Meaning that everything in this world, right down from the dirt to bushes, uh, is a symbol, it is a speaking to us of who God is. And we don't really share that worldview, but we've got to see it all over Scripture. So think about it this way. When you worry about anxiety, you and I, we may Google it. You know, we'll go to Dr. Google and try to find a reputable source on how to deal with anxiety. Jesus goes to the book of creation. Right In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, what about your anxiety? Consider the lilies. <laughs> he would say, go hike the Jacksonville Forest Park and look at the wildflowers. And let that speak to you about anxiety. Uh, look to the birds, the sparrows. They're teaching you. Uh, so it's not that um, we ignore creation. In fact, Jesus would have seen uh, God's word as the ultimate authority. That's the book of truth, right? God's word. But there's also something you may could call the book of creation which also speaks to us. And just like a child needs its mother, we need Jesus. Uh, You know, this is the great, beautiful worldview that's in Scripture. So when, um, you know, Scripture looks at the sun, they see it as, you know, the sun is like burning brighter and brighter, and that reminds us of what it's like to be awakened to the truth of Jesus Christ. So something about the sun shining on us brighter and brighter is meant by God to remind us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, like I said, that's kind of a highbrow question. And the reason I bring it up is because Jesus is going to talk about vineyards and pruning and vine dressers, you know, farmers who take care of a grapevine. And Jesus is not just, I would suggest to you, Jesus is not just using this as a helpful analogy. What Jesus is saying is there's something about creation that's meant to speak to us so that when you and I have the privilege of driving around where there actually are vineyards, you know, I'm from the American South. We don't, we don't grow vineyards where I'm from. Uh, you know, we grew tobacco a lot. That's what, you know, I'm used to seeing. Uh, over here, though, we have the privilege of seeing vineyards on a lot of our hills. And I think in Jesus's worldview and increasingly in your worldview, you should be seeing how God is communicating even through creation. Um, that's, it doesn't, you know, negate scripture, uh, but in fact, scripture teaches us to do this, right? Jesus says, consider the lilies, look to the sparrows, right? And Jesus will say that my relationship with my people has plenty of types, allegories, if you will, all throughout creation. I love my people the way that a husband is meant to love his bride, I am connected to my people the way the trunk, the, 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 what, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say trunk, he says the true vine, but that's a hard word for us to understand, right? He says the vine, the big trunk, the way that that is connected to all the branches on a grapevine, that's the way that I am connected to you. And so uh, let's dive into what this means for us, that Jesus 
and uh, his people are connected the way that a vine is connected to its branches, right? Uh, so right off the bat, what you need to know, just contextually, uh, Jesus is talking. This is the night he is betrayed. This is Jesus in the upper room. And so this is some of the last things Jesus is going to tell his people before he's crucified the next day. And Jesus has said all throughout John all kind of famous sayings, the I am sayings, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the light of the world, right? I am the true bread. And here he says, I am the true vine. And what is it that Jesus means there? Well, that word vine there, it means grape vine. There are other words for other fruit. This is, you know, actually about uh, grape vines. And he says in this one that his, the father is sort of like the vine dresser. And maybe you've never used that word, but it basically, it's, in Greek, it's just the word farmer. Uh, but that doesn't really quite get at what the vine dresser did. So we translate it vine dresser because it's the farmer who specifically works on vineyards. Um, a Google told me you would call that person a viniculturist. Anyone here a viniculturist can confirm that that's the right term? No one here owns a winery? That's, you know, surprising. Or has anyone here ever pruned? Has anyone ever worked at one of the vineyards around here? Awesome. Yeah, so you know what pruning is all about. Right, so in this analogy, Jesus says that he is like the trunk, and we are to be intimately connected to him, right? And we're like these branches, and we're meant to bear a lot of grapes, right? We're meant to be very fruitful. And God the Father, right, is going around, and he's cutting at the vine, right? And he's cutting off all of these branches. And there's a beautiful side to it, and then there's sort of a sobering side, because uh, the Father comes around, and he's doing a lot of cutting, some people are cut off, right, and thrown into the fire. And then even the people who bear fruit, we can expect to also be cut, <laughs> uh, which is a sobering thought. Uh, so uh, all, all that to say, what I need you to grasp about the vine is uh, it's not just a helpful metaphor. It's not just a, a, a nice analogy. Uh, there's also a deeper level that Jesus is speaking. And what I mean by that is in the Old Testament, in the story that God is telling, God raises up a group of people, the nation of Israel, we would call them, or Jewish people, right? This ethnic group of people, the nation of Israel, he calls them out of Egypt, out of slavery, he brings them to the promised land, and he gives them a mission. And that mission is in Genesis 12, 3. It's probably the most important verse in the Bible. He says to the nation of Israel, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing and in you, all of the nations, all of the people groups will be blessed in you. And what Psalm 80 tells us is it says that when God leads his people out of slavery into Egypt, he compares his people to what? A vine. It says, you brought, this is you, you, Lord, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And then in Isaiah, we learn again that God saw his people, Israel, as the vineyard. Isaiah 5 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Uh, so what's happening by the time Isaiah is writing in the Old Testament is God has led his people to the promised land, but they have not fulfilled the mission that God had for them, that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. The vine, even though God wanted it to bear much fruit, Isaiah says it, it, it bore sour grapes. 
So when Jesus arrives and he says, I am the true vine, what Jesus is saying is, I am the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. Everything the nation of Israel was meant to do, I am going to do. How is the nation of Israel going to bless every single people group in Asia and Africa and North America and South America? How is he going to bless every people group? Through the seed of David. As we sang earlier, great David's greater son, Christ Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the blessing for the nations. I am the true vine. Just like God wanted his people to be fruitful, to bless and redeem this world, I'm going to send my son, fully God, to become the true vine. So that's what Jesus, it's a pretty bold claim for Jesus to say he is the true vine. But really what's happening, of course, is what Jesus is really getting at is the big surprise of the gospel. Uh, we're not saved by our ethnicity. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah will say uh, in chapter 2, it'll look forward to the day that all the peoples will come to Zion to learn the law, and they will all be cleansed by the Lord, and they will go back to their people groups. Well, Jesus says, that's me. I'm the one people come to for salvation. I'm the one that can reconcile you to God. I'm the only one that can make you become who you were always meant to be. I'm the true vine, and if you want to bear fruit, if you want a life that matters, and you don't want to be thrown into the fire, You've got to come to me and be connected to me. Now, of course, I know many of you are believers in the room, and you know all this, right? It's the gospel message, right? If we want to have life and life abundantly, it's only available through Jesus Christ and being intimately connected in him. Uh, it's being about abiding in him. So what are we supposed to learn if you're already a Christian? You know, what if you've already given your, you know, life to the Lord? What are you supposed to learn from this passage? Well, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're bringing your Bible now. You know, by, uh, church is now BYOB. You know, bring your own Bible. I'm not going to stop saying that joke because I think it's awesome. I think it's really funny. It's BYOB. Bring your own Bible from now on and bring a pen. Take notes, please, in your Bible. Uh, and if you want to take notes, you know, here are three. You know, all I really want you to get is, you know, there's basically three things that believers need to see out of John 15, okay? The first one is you and I, we are going to be pruned, <laughs> Okay? We are going to be pruned. Uh, you and I, we are going to bear fruit. We're going to bear fruit. That's good news. We're going to bear fruit. We're going to become who we were meant to become. And the last one is we are going to do so by abiding, by remaining, by being linked to Jesus. We're going to abide. All right, so let's uh, look at this idea of pruning. Do you see it in verse 2? Uh, Jesus says, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, right? So um, if, our, if we're not with the Lord, we're going to be cast aside. It's scary. But notice that his focus there is on fruit that does bear fruit. And he says, every, fr every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do to it? Yeah, he prunes it, which is kind of like a terrifying thought, uh, you know, to be pruned, right? That means uh, that even if you and I are bearing fruit for the Lord, there are still parts of us that need to be cut off so that we would become more and more fruitful. We would become more and more like Jesus. Uh, you know, so if you've been here at all, you may have heard me uh, quote Jack Miller that the gospel is two simple messages. I know it's been like three or four months, but anybody remember what the gospel is? The gospel is cheer up, you and I were worse than we think. <laughs> but cheer up, you and I are more loved in Christ Jesus than we dare imagine. That's the gospel truth. You and I, we're worse than we think. And if you don't know that, you don't know Christ. 
Because the first call of Jesus is to repent and turn from sin. But if you don't know that you are more loved in Christ Jesus than you would ever dare to imagine, you don't know the love of Christ yet. Uh, Christianity, I mean, it's going to be like trying to drink sawdust. It's going to be all dry and deathly. And who in the world would you ever want to share that with? Jesus says the gospel is like ever-living water flowing out of you. It's knowing that you are more loved in Christ Jesus than you dare imagine. I mean, that's the paradox of Christianity, right? Because it humbles us, because we're worse than we think, and yet it lifts us to new heights, right? That's what the great Puritans would talk about. The way up is what? It's the way down. To be exalted, we have to humble ourselves. To attain heaven, we have to kneel at the foot of the cross, all right, so that's the gospel. So let's talk about pruning, Christian, because uh, to summarize pruning, I think I could say it this way. Cheer up, you will be pruned, and cheer up, it will be worse than you think. <laughs> but cheer up, okay? You're going to get pruned, and so am I. And cheer up, it's going to be worse than we think, All right? So what does it mean for believers to be pruned? Well, often that means our friendships or our relationships or patterns of sinful behavior. Uh, God is going to either... Um, quietly or maybe in big ways remove those things from our lives uh, maybe you've had patterns of sin that the lord has graciously removed from your life in a way that nobody else had to know about and then of course there are other sinful patterns that a lot of people know about you know uh, as my old pastor used to say people like to sow their wild oats and then pray that the harvest doesn't come <laughs> you ever heard that we like to sow our wild oats and then pray that harvest doesn't come you see but that unfortunately reveals that many of us we think of sin when you and i sin we we, we have this like lie from the pit of hell that sin happens in some sort of like weird vacuum where nothing gets in and nothing gets out you know a vacuum you know nothing gets in nothing gets out of the vacuum it's like a light bulb right and we think that if we have these sinful patterns we can somehow contain them that we can entertain this greed or we can entertain this lust, or we can entertain this pride, right? Or we can actually silently cut off one of our family members in hatred, and we can sort of contain that, right? But that's, that, nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, just, you know, look at any sin, right? Um, it's always, always seeping into areas we don't expect, right? It's always affecting the people we love. Uh, we don't sin in a vacuum, and so oftentimes what the Lord does in his pruning is he's removing those areas. Uh, either before we sin, he's going to cut it off, or when there are sour grapes, he's going to cut them off from our life. And, you know, that could be, you know, kind of challenging or discouraging. And, you know, I, I get that to an extent. But, you know, Hebrews talks about the pruning of the Lord. And Hebrews 12 it has this beautiful passage uh, where it talks about how the Lord prunes us. And it's so important, especially on Father's Day. I didn't even think about it being Father's Day, but in Hebrews 12, it says this. I think I've got it up on the screen. It says, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. There's no amen on that? Amen, Dad. You didn't know what you were doing, right? Our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time while we were children as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us he prunes us for what? For our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline, <laughs> every pruning knife is sharp. It all seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields 
the peaceful fruit, there's that word again, fruit, of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, friends, uh, this is such hopeful information to know that the hardships, the difficulties, the relationships that we, ha- we may have lost, uh, these are all things that the Lord is pruning out of our lives so that we can bear more fruit. We can become who we were meant to be. You know, if you are sad that your girlfriend broke up with you, well, praise God, you probably would have stayed insufferable with her. And now you're going to be even, that was a joke, you're going to stay even better, right? You're going to get all of your mistakes out now so that your wife will love you even more, right? If you don't get into your reach school, well, praise God, God has a different path for you, right? I mean, it's a way of seeing that even the hard discipline of the Lord, even the pruning, the hardships, they're hopeful. Because we know who holds the pruning knife. You know, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, let's see if I can find it. He said it this way. He said, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. You know that great story, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia? Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia? Anyone read those by C.S. Lewis? Well, you may remember, I think it's in book three or four, uh, there's the story of the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Anybody remember that? They made a movie about it a few years ago. And if you know the voyage of the Dawn Treader, you may remember a character. Uh, He's insufferable. His name is Eustace uh, Scrub. Anyone remember Eustace Scrub? He's really lazy. And, you know, famously in the story, he doesn't want to help clean the ship. So he escapes and he goes and he hides in a cave because he's really lazy and he's insufferable, right? We don't like him. He's, you know, boo, Eustace, right? He's a bad kid, right? So he goes and he hides in this cave. And anyone remember what he finds? He finds a pot of gold. And so this bad little boy, he steals the gold for himself and then he takes a nap, right? And then when he wakes up, anybody remember what happens in the story? When he wakes up, he's become a dragon. He's become a dragon, And he tries to remove the dragon scales off of him, right? His sinful life has led him to become something he was never supposed to become. You know, he's become this dragon, and no one can heal him, right? He can't take the scales. And Aslan, you know, Jesus, the lion, he appears, and he says, only I can remove the dragon skin from you. And so he allows Aslan to remove the dragon skin. And Eustace says this in the book. He says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. That very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And we began pulling the skin off. It hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. (laughs) You know, I think that was C.S. Lewis's best analogy for what it's like to be pruned by the Lord. Now, of course... um, For us, you know, I don't know what your pruning is like. Maybe you can think of areas of your life that need to be pruned right now. Uh, But friends, part of being a believer in Jesus is knowing who the vine dresser is. That if the Lord is removing things from your life, um, if he's shaping you, if you've come across hardship, uh, friend, it could be that the Lord is actually pruning you to become who you were always meant to be, to bear more fruit. 
you know, understanding that pruning works this way, I mean, it really saves us from fear, right? Because if you don't really know the vine dresser, you're going to be afraid of every hardship. You're not going to see it as the work of the Lord. You're going to be afraid. Um, it's going to save you from complaining or grumbling. Uh, because as much as you want it to be, grumbling and complaining is not one of the fruit of the Spirit, you know? That is the back row back there. We made it the grumbling row. I'm just kidding. I think that's the faithfulness row back there, right? But if we know that the vine dresser is removing and shaping our lives so that we become who we were meant to be in Christ, well, then we're not going to complain. We're going to trust the Lord. And, of course, it saves us from self-pity, right? I mean, who here hasn't seen or lived in your own period of self-pity, fear, and complaining? When in reality, what may be happening simply is just the Lord is pruning you to become who you were always meant to be. And yeah, it's going to be difficult. But if you know God the Father, you know that he does it for our good. And you know who the vine dresser is. So that's what we need to know about pruning. All right, the next thing we need to really talk about right there is what does it mean to bear fruit? Right, of course, that's the, the whole analogy, right, uh, hinges on the reason Jesus is cutting off all these extra branches is so that the remaining branches have all of the sap and energy and focus of the vine, right? So that uh, the vine that remains, it only has really, really fruitful branches, right? So what does it mean for you and I to bear fruit? Uh, well, I think for some of us, we may fall back into, well, what it really means for me to bear fruit is like I'm supposed to be leading a bunch of people to Jesus. Like I'm supposed to go, you know, knocking on doors and annoying people and converting them to Christianity. That's what it means to bear fruit. And I haven't done that, so I guess I'm not really useful for the kingdom. Uh, well, uh, yes, evangelism is important. And yes, I want you to become a Christian and know the love of God if you don't. Uh, but friends, Jesus is not really speaking to evangelism in this passage. And in fact, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't mention evangelism. Evangelism is important. If you want to become a Christian today, come talk to me afterward. But bearing fruit, becoming who you were meant to be, in this passage and in Galatians, and even in Hebrews, it's actually talking about your character. Uh, if we were from another era, I would call it your virtue. If I were speaking to people today, I would say it this way. It's you becoming more like Jesus. It's you staying so connected to him that you love like him. That you know how to pray so that you know the mind of Christ and you pray for what God wants to do in this world. See, that's what Jesus says. He says, you're going to pray, and in my name, I'm going to give you whatever you want if you abide in me and remain in me because you will know the very heart of God. You'll be righteous. You'll share in his holiness. You'll love your enemies. You will pray for those who persecute you. You will keep no record of wrong. You will love, hope, and believe all things are possible in Christ Jesus. You'll very simply become a little Christ. I mean, that's what Christian means. It was an insult. You know, you're trying to be like, you're trying to be like Jesus? You're just a little, little Christ, huh? Well, yeah. That's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit of God to make us live and act and operate like Jesus. I want to be so connected to him that if I were ever severed from him, I'd just die. I know that unless Christ is in me, I can do nothing. 
So let's talk about bearing fruit for a second. You may have noticed that the rows on the pews, well, they're not pews, they're chairs. The rows are not numbered. Did anyone notice that when you came in earlier this week? We're like, I guess we should number the rows to make it easier for everybody. But then someone had the insight of let's name them after the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the front row, you guys are self-control, which is exciting. (laughs) We're talking about putting the staff on the self-control row. Uh, But if you look around, you'll probably see one of the fruit of the Spirit in front of you. Now, uh, what I mean and what I want you to focus on is do you know the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, so I think I've got it on a slide. So let's go through what the fruit of the Spirit are. You can read them out loud if you know them, right? There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's what Paul says. This is Galatians chapter 5. This is what it means to bear fruit. It means you become more loving. It means you have joy. It means you're at peace. It means you become a more patient person. It means you become a more kind person. You and I, we become good, faithful. We become gentle. And we exercise self-control. I mean, this is what it means to bear fruit. Now, um, there's a great Japanese artist named Makato Fujimura. You'll never guess where he's from. He's from Japan. And he's a believer. And Makato, in an interview, was talking about one of the problems in our culture. And what Makato said was that we today, we have a cultural language to celebrate waywardness. But we today do not have a cultural language to celebrate coming home. And what he meant by that is if you look at art or movies or film or, uh, you know, the stuff on the radio, like we can sing about heartbreak We can see injustice. Uh, We can emote anger and unrighteousness, right? We can can see the brokenness in this world. And a lot of our movies, the most meaningful times where where we get the most emotionally upset are when we see evil and injustice. We have a a language to celebrate those things, you know, but we don't have a cultural language to celebrate the good and the beautiful and the true. Right? I mean, you've never heard the country song, I got my wife back and my dog is healthy and my truck is running properly, right? Instead, what do you get? You get Carrie Underwood driving with Jesus and then tearing up the leather in your truck, right? And you, you lose your dog, right? No one listens to country. It's all true. Just check it out. It's, it's, it's true. Um, you know, so to Makato's point, though, I guess the, reason only, the only reason I bring up Makato is because I think it's easier to look at the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit and say, which of these two lists describe me? So hopefully there's another list, right? So this would be the opposite. And, you know, this isn't scripture or anything. You know, you could come up with opposite, different opposite ones, but it just goes to illustrate the point. You know, this would be the opposite of bearing fruit. We're defined by hatred. We're defined by despair, anxiety, impatience, rudeness, evil. We're unreliable. We're harsh towards people, and we have no discipline whatsoever. I mean, when you watch the news and you think about culture, which of the lists do you see played out in front of you? Well, even more importantly, standing before the Lord, which list describes you? We've just entered three months of pruning. I mean, we don't even have the NBA, (laughs) We don't even have professional sports right now. You and I have been pruned. 
and a lot has been cut off. So are you, Christian, going to grow in love and in joy and in peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and more self-control? Or are you going to grow in the opposite? Well, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you only wants one of those lists to grow in your life. So how can you do it? You know, and notice in, in John, in our passage, John spe- uh, Jesus specifically says joy. That's bearing fruit. My joy may be in you. So how can you do this? Uh, well, friends, this is where the gospel is very different than the internet, okay? And what I mean by that is the gospel is going to give you power to do this in a way that a self-help article or a self-help book never could, okay? Uh, I know we're all like sort of dedicated to self-help, uh, but what Jesus will say is the way that you and I actually have love, the way that we actually love people, is that we know that we are loved by Christ. The way we accept and love our enemies is to recognize that before Christ entered our life, we were the enemies of God. So there go I, but for the grace of God. And the way that I have joy in the midst of all of the hardship I'm facing is to recognize that Jesus faced even harder things than you and I did. He even went to the cross for you, but he did it for the joy set before him. The way that you and I have discipline is through the discipline of Christ working its way in us through the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not mustering up your strength to be more disciplined. What it is, to use an analogy, is to remember that you can only live in Christ. Believer, you are like a branch. And the only way you and I can have life is if we remain connected to the vine. That's the way you and I grow. It's in Christ. And the way we experience Christ, Jesus will say, you'll obey my word and my word will abide in you. Believer, you and I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The way we abide is by studying and knowing And more importantly, applying the word of God. It's through prayer. And lastly, and we're about to celebrate it, it's through the sacraments, through baptism and communion. These are Jesus' physical words speaking to us. Uh, So friends, as we close, I just want to invite you now to uh, think through this list of descriptions. Where do you need to grow fruit Uh, Where do you need to trust the vine dresser? And then let's pray as we abide in Christ.